Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Out to Be podcast. It's your host, Katie Zaccardi. And on today's episode, I have guest Kimberly Hankins with us. Kimberly is a registered 200-hour yoga instructor specializing in yoga for musicians, vinyasa, booty yoga, and merge the practice. She offers an online studio called The Aligned Musician, where she does free live stream classes, and she is one of the founding instructors of Yoga for All Musicians, a virtual studio catered towards music students and musicians. So she is amazing. We have a really, really in-depth conversation today about yoga and how yoga can be our best friend as musicians and actually allow us to play our instruments better and show up better every day and less stressed. So in this episode, we're talking about building strength and reducing tension and the different types of yoga so you can figure out what works best for you based on your body type, your stressors, your needs, and exactly what you're looking for. So I'm so excited for this episode. We're going to dive in in just a second here. But before we do, I have a big announcement. I am opening up one more spot in my one-on-one coaching program. So for October, starting in October, I'm taking on one more private client. My private coaching program is the highest level you can work with me at. It is for full-time musicians or music coaches, or maybe you do both. So if you are a music industry coach or a full-time musician, then this is the program for you. You get super high-level access to me. We are working in your business every day together to help you grow and scale it. To apply for this program, head to bit.ly slash outtobecoaching and fill out your application. Once we get your application, we'll hop on a call to see if this is a good fit. But if you are looking to make even more money, in the rest of 2020 and through 2021, if you're looking to book out your gig schedule or your Patreon and crush your Patreon launch or book out your client roster and have amazing killer launches, then this is the perfect program for you. So if you wanna grab that one spot, if you wanna be that last person that I am taking on to mentor for this six month program, then head to bit.ly slash out to be coaching right now to fill out that application. And I can't wait to hear from you. Okay, let's go ahead and dive into today's episode. Hey, Kimberly, and welcome to the out to be podcast. Hi, Katie. Thank you so much for having me here. I'm so excited. I am excited too, because we are both yoga teachers, but you are the yoga teacher for musicians. And today we're going to talk about the body and your muscles and tension and all of this stuff that I'm super, super excited to dive into. So before we get into the juicy stuff, tell us a little bit about who you are and how you got to where you are now. All right. So uh, my name is Kimberly Hankins. I'm a violist and I'm a yoga instructor. And um, I started out on violin uh, when I was in elementary school and when I was in high school I started playing viola and I feel like that's an important piece because I always felt like I was a little bit behind and like I needed to work extra hard to sort of catch up to everybody else and so when I was an undergrad I actually started out as an engineering major it took me a while to become a a viola performance major actually and when I decided that I wanted to become a professional musician, I wanted to get into a really good graduate school. And so I made sure that I was practicing, you know, four to six hours every day. I had a really heavy course load because I had transferred and I I wanted to get everything done in a shorter amount of time. And I remember there being one day where I was just, you know, getting in my hours of practice and suddenly uh, I wasn't able to hold up my viola anymore. And I just was like, this is so weird. What is happening to me? And after that was when I started feeling the pain. I had actually, I was so hyper-focused on getting things done that I wasn't, I was no longer aware of what my body was experiencing or feeling in that moment. I was just trying to get my practice hours in, right? Um, And Uh, At the time, I was also, you know, working on my senior recital, preparing for grad school auditions. Uh, There was a concerto competition I really wanted to do well in. And it was heartbreaking to have that happen. And I went to the health center on campus and they were like, well, you know, 
you have tendonitis in your shoulder, you should probably take it easy for a few months and, you know, maybe consider a different career path. And I, I was not okay with that. I was working so hard towards becoming a musician. And the last thing I wanted was to give that up. And um, I, so I went online and I just started doing research. I was like, okay, what are some things that I can do to kind of like help this heal faster? And I stumbled upon um, this really kind of ridiculous website looking back on it. <laughs> that claimed that yoga, the specific style of yoga could heal all of these ailments. Um, and I found a local yoga studio nearby and I went religiously every single day for like three weeks and I just felt so much better. And at the time, you know, I, I didn't have to play an orchestra. Like I got, I was excused from a lot of things because of my injury. Um, and I just dove into literally just research and yoga. And I, um, part of it totally might've been a placebo effect because I was like, this is going to work. This website said it was going to work. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're doing this and it's going to work. And, um, I mean, it gave me a sense of positivity about it. It gave me a community. Um, and it, it gave me hope for something. And, you know, after those three weeks, I just remember feeling so great. I started practicing in small amounts, you know, 15 minutes a day, and then just working my way up to playing again. And in the scheme of things, I'm so grateful for that injury and everything that it taught me because if I hadn't gone through that, I would not understand nearly as much about how the body works, but also just about myself and what I need and what my limits are. Um, and I think a lot of us in academia, not just in music, um, we're so trained to go beyond what our limits are and we're rewarded for that. Um, and I think that that is a really dangerous thing if we totally buy into that and we don't stop for at least a moment and consider how this is affecting us as a human being. So, um, so then I went to grad school and there wasn't this style of yoga studio nearby. And so I totally quit practicing. What style was it that you were practicing in originally? It was Bikram yoga. Okay. And I no longer practice Bikram. That's um, like hot yoga, a variety right? variety of reasons. Yes. It's yeah. hot yoga practice and it's, the leader of Bikram is, is Bikram and he's very problematic. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't know about him, but, um, and I, the more that I've learned about yoga, the more that I've realized that many of his teachings are not the greatest anatomically. Um, and a lot of the traditional yoga poses he changed the names to mm -hmm. in order to be able to try to copyright his practice. Um, and so, yeah, just like a little sidebar there. I, yeah, yeah. Not to talk about Bikram because it's like, I, I love the practice and I actually did Bikram yoga for about three years um, after grad school or like during grad school, but I no longer associate myself with it. But I mean, I think that everybody should try everything and, tr you know, find a practice that they enjoy and that they love. And for a long time, that was what I loved to do. And it being in a heated room, I thought was very beneficial for me because it helped me, it helped my muscles release. I was able to get further into certain postures. At the same time, as somebody that struggles with hypermobility, I don't know that that, like mm. getting my ligaments even more loose was something that I really, really needed. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. I myself could never do hot yoga because I just get so tense being in the heat. So I know like, I know people and my aunt in particular, she's like, hot yoga is the only thing that helps with like my sciatica. For me, mm -hmm. I'm like, I would so much rather not be stressed out doing yoga and being in heat, I know would just like stress me out. <laughs> like, So yeah. it's a hard no. Um, but maybe we could talk about for a second, the couple different types of yoga as well, before we dive into like the more specific things. Oh, sure. Oh my gosh. There's so many different lineages of yoga and I, I call them lineages. I think many people call them lineages um, because there were 
uh, people that practiced in ancient, ancient times in India and Southeast Asia. And um, there are ancient texts which are called the sutras, uh, which go, kind of go through um, these ancient, ancient yogic practices. And these practices evolved over time. And then in the early 1900s, um, various different yoga teachers started coming over to the West and to the United States to share their practices and teach people. So out of those, they're, the one that most people know of is Hatha yoga. And from the Hatha yoga tradition, you have Ashtanga, you have Vinyasa, and then you know from vinyasa you have power vinyasa and there's there's all of these um, different sort Very of paths yeah. yeah and much like music it's taught from a teacher to student kind of relationship and it's a lot of it is oral tradition passed down um, and so you have people that you know the student learns from the master or the guru and a lot of times they they might interpret something slightly differently, or they might have their own take on something, or they might learn, um, especially in modern day era, they might learn something about anatomy, or they might be a physical therapist, or they might have some other um, practice that they do, and they'll start to incorporate some of their own ideas into it. And um, and so now we end up with, there, there's a million different kinds of yoga. And <laughs> I mean, if you guys are interested in, in the history of yoga and maybe some of the problematic issues of yoga, I highly recommend the Yoga is Dead podcast. I mm. just started listening to it and I'm, I'm just blown away by how incredible of a resource that is. I haven't heard of that one before. I'll have to take a listen. I know I've listened to the yoga, I think it's called Yoga Talks by Jay Brown. And he also has like really in-depth, long conversations with people in the yoga industry talking about these same things because th there are, yeah, the, the guru thing is something that is sort of like slightly problematic to some. There's sexual harassment in the yoga industry. Like there's a lot of stuff in the yoga industry that is needing to be addressed especially now and so there's a lot we could go into there but we'll let the experts on those topics talk about those and oh, definitely absolutely. go listen to those <laughs> podcasts for more information on that oh yeah definitely um and i think that there are at the same time like i don't want to discourage people from doing yoga because there are so many benefits to a yoga practice uh -huh. yeah um and it can be incorporated in so many different ways into your own lifestyle and you don't have to necessarily ascribe to one particular type of yoga in order to gain the benefits from it. So like you said, there's a couple different variations or, you know, whatever you want to call it. Um, Hatha, there's like yin, which is more gentle. There's vinyasa, which is what I was trained in, which ironically, I don't practice too much vinyasa anymore. I really prefer to do like either a a gentle hatha yoga or like a yin practice that is just a little bit more low key. Um, and then there's hot yoga, which by nature of it being hot is going to be a little bit more intense where you're in a room that's heated, right? So there's a bunch of different things that you can do. Now, I think it's important and I'd love your take on this. I've recommended to people before you should try yoga, especially years and years ago when I was just sort of doing it and I noticed how much it helped me with my anxiety and, and even more from a mental health perspective when I wasn't really focusing on it for physical health. But then I would have friends come to me and say, this just like spiked my anxiety. It was too fast. I couldn't follow the teacher. I couldn't do this. And so I really truly believe like, okay, that practice or like that video wasn't for you because there's so much out there. You have to find what works for you based on specifically who you are as a person, what you're going through and what you're looking for support with. So can you talk a little bit more about that and how we can maybe identify what kind of practice or like I said, video, teacher, anything like that to gravitate towards based on where we're at? I know it's a oh, little vague. That's but. A great <laughs> and I, I totally agree with that too. And I, I always tell my students um, or people that ask me, if you, um, if you go into a yoga class, you take a yoga class, whatever judgment you may have about that one class you took, try to set that aside until you take three different classes from that same teacher or from that same practice before you pass any judgment. Because first of all, 
we're human beings <laughs> as yoga instructors and some of us have bad days and we try not to bring whatever's happening into the outside world into our yoga practice but some days it's just it's a miracle if we're even showing up and we're there um and secondly every single class that i teach is different and I might teach one class that focuses on specific aspects of the body or of the mind, if it's a particularly meditative class. Um, and that might be a class that really just does not sit well with you. And you're like, oh, I hated that. I didn't like that. Um, but if you took any of my other classes, you might find something about that that you would enjoy. So I, I would say suspend any kind of judgment for at least three classes. Um, another thing is that trust your gut. If you're in a class and it, it's something is just not sitting right with you and you're like, mm, I, I feel weird being here or I'm not comfortable with whatever it is, even if you can't put it into words, it's okay to not go back and to try something else. Um, and I think that with yoga, there are so many, just as we talked about, there's so many different styles of yoga and I actually as a musician the more that I've done yoga and the more that I've studied yoga and functional anatomy the more that I've kind of come to this conclusion that so much of yoga okay first of all so much of yoga is amazing for everyone and I believe wholeheartedly that yoga is for everyone but there are certain styles and certain practices to just jump into from never maybe never doing yoga before or having any kind of fitness practice, I just don't think it's the best choice or the most supportive thing for most people. So as musicians, I would say that you want to work up to anything where you have to put weight on your hands. And um, that's a big thing just because, you know, we don't want to hurt our wrists. Like as instrumentalists, so much of what we do is dependent upon our wrist health, arm health, hand health. And to jump into a practice where you're instantly having to like do chaturangas or like um, basically push-ups where you're on your hands um, or going into arm balances is main, maybe not the thing that's going to help you feel the most empowered when you go to practice your instrument. So I think that um, finding something like a gentle Hatha class or maybe even a restorative class to start mm -hmm. with yeah. is a really great idea because restorative classes and yin classes, you don't have to have any experience. It's all about the meditation. Same thing with yoga nidra. And although you may be in super uncomfortable yoga poses, you kind of learn how to work through the mental game of doing yoga and then you can you know try out a beginner vinyasa class or whatever it is that you feel drawn to do and sort of build upon that because so much of what yoga is um and actually i think most fitness practices do so much of it is mental and it's hard to it's hard to get good at sitting with discomfort that's something that usually comes a lot later. Yeah. Okay. Before we move on, I feel called to almost differentiate further these terms that you're throwing out there for anyone who's kind of unfamiliar with yoga. So yoga nidra, yoga nidra is basically like one very long, deep meditation, less movement. Would you agree? Yes. Restorative yoga. How would you classify that? I think that there's two main types of restorative yoga that I've seen. Um, I love my favorite kind is actually the kind that I never teach <laughs> um, because I, I've never done a training in it. But if you take a real restorative yoga class, there's lots of props involved. Mm -hmm. You're, there's oftentimes a strap and you spend like 10 to 15 minutes just setting up the pose that you're going to be in with yeah. all of these like bolsters and pillows and blankets and whatnot. And, and then you're in the poses for a long time. Right. And you hold this one pose for like 20 minutes, but it literally feels like you're floating. You don't feel that you're, I don't know. It's weird. You feel yeah. weightless. And you're, it's, it's, you're doing like a handful of poses for a long time so that it's just more like relaxing and like you're allowing your body to like really go deep into one pose and your mind to relax with that. 
Right. And so yin is kind of like that restorative in that you're still only doing a handful of poses and you're sitting in them. But yin is a much more uncomfortable practice. My teacher always jokes. She goes, is anybody, like every class, if she sees someone in it, she'll be like, have you done yin before? And then she'll be like, I'm sorry. But she's totally joking. But she means it because it's like, yin is more chill in that you're not going to be like sweating but you're going to be holding more challenging poses for a longer period of time that really get your muscles being like oh crap i have to relax oh, <laughs> and i think it's so i just think it's so funny she's always like i'm sorry like get ready for this cuz you might hate me afterwards but your muscles are going to love it <laughs> oh, it's so true though it's like yin is one of the most challenging things but you're not really doing anything <laughs> i know you're sitting in like pigeon pose for like five minutes and you're just basically lying down in a certain position, but yet you're like, oh my God, when is this going to end? It hurts. <laughs> well, it shouldn't hurt. If it hurts, then, you know, back off. But <laughs> it's yeah, or like, intense. Or like your arm falls asleep and you're just like, ah, get me out of this. And your brain is screaming at you to mm-hmm. move, but oh, you yeah. have to kind of surrender to it. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's a whole, it's a whole thing. <laughs> so what would you say is the step above that? Do you think Hatha? Yeah, I would say like a Hatha class or like a gentle, I don't know, gentle Hatha. (laughs) I've seen that kind of terminology around. And, you know, there are so many yoga for musicians teachers now. That makes me so, so happy. Um, And I think that it's, it's a wide range as well with yoga for musicians teachers, just because we all come from different backgrounds. Right. But the fact is that we're all, we're all coming at yoga from this perspective of how can this be something to serve musicians? Yeah. And from that perspective, um, I would say that yoga for musicians classes generally tend to fit around that like gentle Hatha intensity. Because I was going to say, I would think the next step step up would be vinyasa, which if you see a class, and the reason I want to walk through this is because if you're thinking about taking a yoga class, I want you as a listener to know what to look for as we can have this conversation and be able to like, you know, know what you're expecting if you go to a restorative class versus a vinyasa class. So I would think the next step, step up would be vinyasa, which you'll see defined as like flow. You might see it as like, morning flow or beginner vinyasa or whatever. And that's going to be more movement as well as more on the wrist. Cause oftentimes you're doing like planks or, or chaturangas, um, on your wrists. So do you do a lot of that when you in particular are teaching yoga for musicians or do you kind of stray away from the vinyasa because it is more intensive like that? So, Okay, first I'm gonna circle back just for a moment. Yeah. And yes, I think that vinyasa can be a great next step after a hatha. Um, that's kind of what I offer as a yoga teacher, but I also think that Iyengar can be mm. so powerful as well. And there's, um, if you've ever read Light on Yoga, it has a foreword by Yehudi Menuhin, who's a violinist who was really into Iyengar and kind of promoted like musicians doing yoga as a, That's so as a cool. practice. It's so cool. Um, and I recommend anybody to read that book if you're interested in, in more of the uh, just kind of benefits of a yoga practice and want to learn a little bit more. Yeah. But, I've never practiced Iyengar either. So can you tell us a little bit about how that differs from the other practices we've talked about so far? Sure. So instead of vinyasa, where vinyasa is often breath to movement. So every single movement has either an inhale or an exhale associated with it and the teacher will cue each inhale and exhale which for some people can be a lot but is something that heart starts to get your heart rate up you sweat a lot um, and Iyengar is a, a practice where there's lots of props involved and it's much more focused on getting the perfect alignment within each individual yoga pose. So you might be holding a pose for a little bit longer. You're still going to be sweating because you're holding, you know, you're actively having to use your muscles to keep you there. Right. Um, but there's much more props and it's a slower moving class than a vinyasa practice. Mm, Maybe I should try it out. That sounds really intriguing to me, actually. I've taken like a 
the closest to an Iyengar class I've taken was like a hot yoga. It was like a Iyengar inspired hot yoga class. And it was okay. one of the best classes I've ever taken. <laughs> so I should, I really should dive deeper into Iyengar as well. It's just haven't had the opportunity to. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And then, you know, in hot yoga, I feel like you can, which I would, I personally classify hot yoga as like the hardest kind, like I said, because it's hot. So you're kind of adding an extra challenge. And I've personally never seen like restorative hot yoga. Have you? Because <laughs> I think hot no. yoga, it's, there's, there's hot vinyasa classes and then there's Bikram or there's probably a couple others too that I'm just not thinking of where is Bikram the one where there's just like 26 poses or something like that, that you basically just do in a sequence? Right. Yeah. And, and a lot of places teach Bikram, but they don't want to be associated with them anymore. So they just call themselves hot yoga. Right. Um, and it's, a lot of it is, it's mostly standing poses. So you will never in it. That's the good thing about hot yoga classes. If you're a musician, you will never have to do a, any kind of weight bearing pose on your hands. So, so that's definitely a plus. Practice, yeah. yeah. Um, and, and when I kind of going back to your earlier question about vinyasa, I, so I am vinyasa trained as well, and I absolutely love vinyasa and it took me a long time to do chaturangas. Oh my gosh, it took me years, but (laughs) I, my kind of feeling on it is that musicians, we need to develop, especially instrumentalists, we need to develop upper body strength. It's Mm -hmm. part of what keeps us healthy. And if we avoid strengthening that part of the body, we actually set ourselves up for more likelihood of injury. It's just what happens. And as a string player, like the muscles that tend to be really weak in string players are serratus anterior. Um, And I'm not going to go through all of these muscles, but already I'm like, no clue what that is. (laughs) The muscles around the shoulder and the shoulder blade that support. And, and a lot of times um, we can have compression in our shoulders, either just from carrying a backpack or, you know, anything that we do that, that lowers the shoulders down. And so it, it's hard to find space underneath the shoulder blades between the shoulders and the rib cage. That area is really important. And this is music to my ears because I am like, I struggle with this since high school. So Tell us more. <laughs> Keep talking, Kimberly. <laughs> okay, so here's the great thing about a vinyasa practice is that if you work your way up to it, a lot of the poses in vinyasa are going to help you strengthen these same muscles of the shoulder, the shoulder blade around that area that are going to keep your shoulders healthy. And um, the more muscle that you have kind of in the areas that matter the areas that we never exercise as musicians, the areas that are tend to be really weak in most people actually, regardless of if you're a musician or not. Yeah. If you strengthen those areas, then you can actually protect yourself from getting things like repetitive stress injuries because you're a little bit more supportive. And I'm going to just disclaimer that by saying that sometimes there are hereditary factors, there are dietary factors, there are sleep factors, neurological, there's so many other health things that could go wrong. Um, and you could be taking the absolute best care of yourself and be doing yoga all the time and be eating the best food and still have repetitive stress injury. Right. So I'm just talking about like setting yourself up in the best way for prevention. Usually on this podcast, I'm coming from yoga, talking about yoga from a place of more of the mental health and the mental wellness. But the physical part of it is so important and not something we've really focused on before. So I want to go even deeper into this with you because you're such an expert on it. Okay. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, like I said, I, so since high school and I used to be a swimmer, but I've always been an instrumentalist, guitar, piano, brief stint in violin, didn't go too hot. It was a little too classical for my liking. (laughs) I wanted to be in voice, you know, the whole shebang that a, a fifth grader goes through, but I, have always had like neck and shoulder problems. And I always look at pictures of me playing guitar and I feel like I'm so hunched over. My posture looks so bad. And I'll always see the pictures and be like, is that really what I look like when I'm performing? (laughs) Like what is happening here? And 
it's gotten so much better since I've reduced stress in other aspects. So it totally goes to what you were just saying. Like, it's not necessarily all about one particular thing. Um, but I still do struggle with it from time to time. Tension, jaw tension because of it, shoulder tension, neck tension. Sometimes I literally get migraines because it's so bad. So not that I'm asking you to self-diagnose me, but I would imagine that this is something that a lot of musicians struggle with whether it's ongoing or whether it's like when they get on stage, they tense up or whatever. So tell us a little bit about, you know, why is this happening in the first place? What's kind of the science behind it? And where do we go from here? Awesome. Okay. So there, the, where it's coming from, where tension comes from, I would say, I mean, I would say that all of it is psychological for the most part. Oh. I think that- <laughs> I think that when we have when we have tension that arises in the body, it's almost always directly cor- correlated to some kind of stressor. Yeah. Um, and I think that mental health is a big, big factor. But, okay, just talking about tension that happens in the body. And I think as musicians, a lot of us can relate to this. And I used to be this way too, where um, I'll be in the practice room, you know, just playing and then after I play, it's like, oh, I just need a, a shoulder massage. You know, my my back hurts. I thought that's really tight. I need to massage that out. Um, but actually, you need to strengthen those muscles. Mm-hmm. So the problem with tension is that tension is a, it's a symptom. It's something that arises because there's a muscular imbalance somewhere in the body. And so our bodies are constantly trying to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we compensate for that in order to move, to go around our daily lives. And I think one of the big ones is, you know, slouching is such a common one. Um, And it happens because our pectoral muscles, so the muscles that are in the front side of our body are super tight and we're doing actions every day, like looking at our phones typing on our computers, um, reading books. We're, we're doing a lot of things that require us to look down, to hunch our shoulders forward. They don't really require us to, but it's just kind of how we how, yeah. adapt to the situation. Um, and so the more that we can do movements that counteract that posture, the more that we'll allow for our bodies to have better um, balance between opposing muscle groups. And then if we can get ourselves into a place where um, all of our muscles, ideally, I don't think that this is, maybe this is unattainable, but ideally if you had a body where every single muscle group was equally balanced, um, then you, you could be in this ideal place where you never experience any kind of tension. And I think that a big piece, so a big piece is getting your um, understanding your muscular imbalance and working to correct it over time. So I'm just going to give this freebie out for y'all. Yeah, give it to (laughs) us. Yeah, if you are are someone that slouches or if you feel like you have a forward head posture or you oftentimes kind of um, slouch or you're rounding your shoulders forward, strengthen your upper back muscles such as your rhomboids, your middle trapezius, and also strengthen your serratus anterior. That's gonna help keep your shoulder blades gliding healthily along your rib cage, and it's gonna allow for your uh, your chest to be a little more open. Where are those muscles? How do we strengthen them? Okay, we need so, the dummies guy here because I don't, I don't yes. remember anything I learned from biology class. So, okay, so rhomboids are the muscles that connect the between your shoulder blades and your spine. So some movements would be if you squeeze your shoulder blades together, that's engaging your rhomboids and your mid trapezius. They like to work together. Uh, Serratus anterior is a little harder to access. And if you've never used this muscle, it might actually take some time to wake that muscle up and and feel that engagement. Um, But if you are, if you have a wall nearby um, and you, bring your hand in front of you so you're facing the wall and just press your hand into the wall so that your shoulder blade uh, moves away from your spine 
And if you take your opposite hand and you bring it underneath your armpit, so along your rib cage, and you actively press into the wall, you should feel some muscle engagement happen. And that's your serratus anterior muscle. So that's I'm eating a, now, and I feel it. <laughs> yay! <laughs> I was like, I hope I can cue this. Yes, well very, very good. <laughs> <laughs> so that muscle, your serratus anterior, that's what keeps your shoulder blades from peeling away from your body. So it helps to keep your shoulders really strong. So those two it. muscles. One more muscle is the deep neck flexors, and they're actually more than one muscle. There's like four deep neck flexors, I believe. Mm -hmm. um, and, if, and one way to strengthen your neck flexors is to sit up tall, and you can take your hand to your chin just so that you feel where your chin is located in space. And then see if you can just gently press your head back, keeping your chin tucked in. So this is going to feel, for a lot of people, really uncomfortable. And it might, when you're first working your deep neck flexors, you might experience some headaches or some, um, some weird things going on. But the deep neck flexors are, they're part of our, our muscles that are protecting the spine. They're kind of like in the cervical spine, which is our neck. Um, they're responsible for keeping this natural curve in the neck that we actually need. Um, and so the more, the more strength you have in the deep neck flexors, the less likely you are gonna be to have a forward head posture. And that's something that only takes a couple seconds, like next time you're on your phone or at your computer um, or whatever it is that you normally, or playing your instrument too, drawing your head forward. See if you can just bring your hand to your chin Press your head slightly back and see if you can hold that for a moment, even if you can't stay in that position forever. Mm -hmm. And I should also say too that having good posture is something that really helps for correcting muscle imbalances, but um, it's not a cure-all. And uh, posture is something that should be dynamic. So you want to, you don't want to ever feel like you're holding one position for a long time. You want to give yourself time to move around. And when I play my instrument, and I don't mean like moving around, like walking around the stage when you're playing. Right. I mean, like um, when I play viola, you know, I'm constantly changing the way that my, um, the way that my instrument is on my shoulder uh, the way that I'm approaching the instrument, I'll move my head, my neck, I'll try to keep my range of motion completely free in my joints so that, um, so that there's less likelihood for me to kind of lock up or have that tension creep in as well. So I think like in, in answering your question about tension, there's, there's all of, there's these major factors. So there's mental health, there's muscular imbalances, there's staying free in all of your joints. And if you, you know, take Alexander technique or like any kind of somatic practice, that's going to really help with that piece as well. But most, most of the time when you experience tension, it's not because necessarily you just need to massage a muscle out. It's because you actually need to strengthen a different muscle group. Yeah. Now I want to ask you as well. So I noticed that if I go days or a week. I'm going to call myself out because, you know, quarantine's been a little crazy with the yoga routine because <laughs> I can't go to my studio. But if I go, you know, out of my normal routine and I haven't done yoga, the first thing that I feel is lower back tightness and weakness. And I kind of find that when that starts, then my upper body goes too. So while we're focusing a lot on our upper body, what do we need to do, if anything, for the lower body? Like Maybe that's just me, but is there any kind of um, connection or something that we need to consider with like core strength in order to support our posture, in order to support our upper body? Um, so it's sort of like the upper body seems like that's what's bothering you, but the core is what's, or your back muscles or whatever it is, might be what's the actual problem. How often do you see that? Like, can you talk a little bit on that? Oh, totally. And um, part of it, Part of it is because there are what's called fascial trains throughout the body. Basically, without getting too deep into fascia, fascia is a connective tissue that exists throughout our bodies. And we have different 
trains of fascia which work together. And the, the fascia train can include um, muscle, it can include tendons, it can include any number of things along this path. Um, and these muscles and fascia kind of work together in a synergistic way in order for us to move. So thinking about one of the fascial lines, there's actually a connection between the deep neck flexors, the muscles in the innermost unit of the spine, all the way down through the innermost muscles of the hips and the low back. And these are all connected through different muscle groups. And what's interesting, so like you said that they're all connected, which yeah. they totally are, and they I all feel want seen. to move together. <laughs> yes. But like I feel seen because really it's like the problem radiates most in my neck, but really I think the problem goes all the way down to my hips. Like if my hips are really tight, that's where it all starts. Yes. Oh my gosh. And there's something that I love to do in some of my yoga classes, which here's another here's another thing you can try at home, which is to massage out your uh, mastoid muscle, which if you take your hands underneath your ears, just on the sides of your jaw, sides of your neck, and you just kind of give yourself a gentle massage here, these muscles are actually connected through fascial train, through a fascial train, to your innermost core muscles of your low back and your hips. So after you've done that and you've massaged out the mastoid muscles, see if you can get into a low lunge or an anjaneyasana or see if you can get into a hip opening pose. And most likely you'll be able to get a little bit deeper than you could without massaging your mastoid muscles before. Yeah, that feels so good massaging over there too. I could do this all day. <laughs> like, but here's something that just came to mind as well. What's funny is that at the beginning you said tension often comes back to something mental, right? Stress, mental stress or, or a mindset thing. Now, what I've also learned through my yoga training, teaching, taking is that when you, you hold a lot of tension and emotion in your hips. So I just think it's so funny the the train um, that we followed this whole conversation of talking about, okay, upper body, upper body, but it's connected to the lower body, it's connected to the hips. And if you're experiencing tension, you might be also holding on to some emotion. So can you tell us about emotions in the hips? And then I want to talk about like what we can also do to support our mental, emotional health to avoid tension in that aspect of it as well. Okay. So basically in, in yoga, when you go through a yoga training, um, you learn about what's called chakras, which are part of this spiritual anatomy side. And um, in my own kind of understanding of functional anatomy, I, I associate chakras with being these energy centers um, that are also deeply intertwined with our nervous system yes and with our hormones mm. so when you think about it like the first chakra is our is basically the lowest point in our hips or our pelvic floor um, and so there's a lot of nerve endings there. We also have the second chakra, which is our reproductive organs. So many nerve endings there. The third chakra is the solar plexus, which is a whole bunch of nerve endings, <laughs> right? And I could continue all the way up. And um, whether or not you believe that the chakras are um, spiritually something that exists, you can think about the chakras as being places where we have lots of nerve endings, there's important organs, and our body, in an effort to protect itself, oftentimes creates tension in these areas of the body. And when you think about it that way, it makes total sense that, oh, if I have some emotion that's not processed, that I'm holding it in certain areas of my body. Somewhere um, a lot of musicians, I think, tend to hold tension is in their shoulders, in their neck, and in their jaw, which when you think about it, it's like the fifth chakra, which is associated with speaking your truth, 
um, being authentic, having healthy conversations, you know, these things that we as musicians oftentimes struggle with finding our voice and, you know, being heard, um, especially when we're in music school and we, we don't get to necessarily perform our interpretations of things. And so that's why I think that like, when you, when you look at side by side, like these are the energy centers of the body and these are the places where musicians and actually a lot of people just in general tend to experience tension. It's kind of interesting to look at that correlation and take it as an opportunity to journal it out and see like, oh, okay, I'm really tight in my stomach. I get butterflies when I go on stage. Maybe I have digestive issues. Okay, well, solar plexus is associated with being, um, being courageous, um, feeling like you are, you have a good sense of self-identity, knowing yourself. Um, and there's a bunch of other things. And if you use it as an opportunity to journal that out and say like, well, is there anything in my life that I'm not feeling secure about right now? Do I feel like I need to act from a place of ego? Um, do I feel like I need to control everything? Cause that's definitely like a third chakra associated issue and, and just see if you find any correlation and it may not do anything, but you may find that it, it can actually really help you. Yeah. That's so, so interesting. And just another layer to think about not to overwhelm anyone, but just to, to explore. Like if you notice that you are holding tension in a specific place, what else might be going on in your life that could be affecting that? What else are you maybe just like not processing through or acknowledging that you need to work through outside and off of the yoga mat and maybe on the yoga mat as well? So is there anything else we can do um, from a mental standpoint or a physical that we haven't touched to really just help ourselves not have that tension and be able to support ourselves from a better place in our body as we go to perform and as we just go to strengthen and show up in the best way possible? I think that the the main thing is building awareness. So the thing is that when we experience tension in our bodies, kind of like what I was saying in my own story with, with developing injury, I wasn't even aware that I was holding tension. I wasn't even really experiencing being fully present in my body. I was only concerned with the sound I was making and um, if it lined up with what I visually saw on the page. And I think that um, part of my healing process has been just developing a better sense of internal awareness, being able to recognize where I'm starting to hold tension as it's beginning to develop, because then I can actually, you know, readjust something in my posture or in the way that I'm playing. Um, maybe I can even tell myself, just calm, relax, or like take a few deep breaths, because the breath is very powerful as well, and see if that helps. But if you're already to a point of tension where you are so, so, so tight, it's incredibly hard in the moment to release that tension. Yeah. So, because then you're yeah. just like, release, release. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're actually just like creating more tension if you're trying to do it immediately. <laughs> and I've, I've tried it. I've tried writing like in all caps in my music, like relax or release. And it's, it's like, it doesn't matter. It's, like, yeah. it's not going to help me. But, but what actually does help is, is, is working on all of these different aspects at the same time. And if you're, you know, before you practice, if you're like doing some strength exercises, you're increasing your shoulder mobility and strength. And then when you're in the practice room, you're taking deep breaths and you're like, okay, I'm going to really stay in my body in this experience and try to perform the best way that I can while also being aware of any tension that's developing. And then from there, if you notice like, oh, when I play this really hard passage, I notice that my shoulder gets, starts to get tight, then take a step back from that, you know, put the instrument down if you need to, get to a place where your shoulder's feeling good or whatever place it is that's getting tight, and then try to play that passage again 
not worrying so much about getting the notes right, but trying to keep that sense of ease in that place in your body. And this is going to take longer. This is the thing that, this is the reason why people don't want to do this kind of work. It's not easy. Um, it does get easier, but if you practice from a place of not only how do I get this sounding really great and how do I do all of the technical things that I want to do or that my teacher has asked me to do at the same time, can I do this while being free in my body and not getting tight? And if you can do all of those things in little, little pieces, even if it's just one note at a time, right. it becomes easier and easier. And, um, and then eventually you don't have to think about it anymore. Just like any technique that we learn. So hopefully that helps. It's just, it's, it's a process and it takes a lot of time and it's not a, um, it's not a magic fix that's going to happen overnight. And sometimes you just get tight because you slept wrong or maybe you didn't drink enough water that day mm -hmm. or, you know, there's still all of these factors that exist, but in becoming more mindful and drawing, uh, increasing your levels of self-awareness, it's only going to build that muscle to be able to handle more and more stressful situations so that you're not ever so caught off guard when tension does happen. Amazing. Kimberly, thank you so much for everything you shared with us today. Where can we connect with you, learn from you, and practice under you moving forward? Awesome. So I have an Instagram, which is at The Aligned Musician. And please reach out to me with any questions you may have, or if you just want to connect. I always love talking to musicians, especially about musicians' wellness, because I'm so passionate about it. I also have a Patreon, so you can find that at patreon.com backslash the aligned musician. You can also find that through the Patreon app. And I have all of these different levels of membership. So for as little as $3 a month, you can get access to a bunch of different practice room warmups and myofascial release. Um, and then for, uh, I think the highest one is $44 a month, which is access to my entire class library. I teach live classes. I have a bunch of recorded classes. And there's kind of levels in between those two um, prices that can fit whatever kind of needs you're wanting. Um, I also teach one-on-one -on -one sessions, but yeah, I'm, I'm available for anyone to work with me. And I love uh, connecting with musicians and talking about musicians wellness because it's just, it's so much fun. <laughs> awesome. And you have a podcast too, right? Yes, I do. I don't know how I forgot about that. <laughs> Yes, I have a podcast that's called The Aligned Musician, and it's available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and pretty much everywhere else podcasts are available. It's a great podcast. I was on it a couple months ago, so definitely go binge listen to it. Um, you won't regret it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kimberly, for coming on today. Thank you so much. I always love our conversations, and I'm so excited to be a part of your podcast. Me too. And everyone who's listening, go ahead and screenshot this episode, tag me and Kimberly in it. Let us know what your favorite part was. We cannot wait to hear from you. Thank you so much for listening to the Out To Be podcast. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, rate and review it on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. That really helps us spread the message and get this podcast out to even more women in music. For more information on coaching services, head to katiezacardi.com. See you next week.